Due to the graphic nature of this dictator's story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of torture and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 1026 CE, Knut the Great was back in Scandinavia after years of ruling from afar in England. He was hunting enemies who threatened his empire, following them to a place called the Holy River. Knut sailed only part of his large fleet into the mouth of the river. He had too many ships to fit them all. Unfortunately for Knut, he didn't know he was sailing straight into a trap. The Viking king was in a massive longship covered in gold, and medieval sources claim it looked like a dragon. It was hard to miss, so King Anund of Sweden could see the moment Canute was within striking distance. King Anund sent a messenger to his ally, King Olaf of Norway. With their forces now joined, they could eliminate Canute before he tried to take their land. As many of Canute's men went ashore, King Olaf destroyed a dam upriver. Knut watched with horror as a huge tidal wave washed over his men and ships before carrying his own vessel out to sea. Separated from his fleet, Knut was surrounded by the Norwegian and Swedish ships. The Viking leader was trapped, alone, far away from home, and facing a battle that could decide the fate of all of Scandinavia. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This season on Dictators, we're looking at the violent reign of the Vikings. Last week, we explored how the Danish prince Knut conquered England and defeated his great rival, Edmund Ironside. This week, we'll examine Knut's falling out with trusted allies, his struggle for control of all of Scandinavia, and the demise of his North Sea Empire. We'll have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 1015 CE, a young Canute led an invasion of England. He spent months fighting the formidable Prince Edmund Ironside before finally defeating him at a battle in Essex in October 1016. Edmund died shortly thereafter, at which point Canute became the King of England. Over the next few years, he steadily consolidated his hold over the country by eliminating English nobles whose loyalty was suspect. However, after the initial purge, Canute continued to employ English nobles and clerics he deemed loyal. In the years to come, their status and influence rose under his leadership. Fears that the Viking king might institute a reign of terror soon dissipated. Though he levied high taxes to pay his men, Knut ushered in an era of relative calm for the English people. It was the first peace they'd known in 25 years. Nevertheless, Knut's power was never absolute. His position was still vulnerable, especially among his Scandinavian allies. This became apparent with the fall of his old ally, Viking warlord Thorkel the Tall. For several years, Thorkel was the second most powerful man in England. He was King Canute's right-hand man. But on November 11, 1021, Canute declared Thorkel an outlaw. He was stripped of all legal rights and protections. Whatever caused this break between Canute and Thorkel isn't quite clear. Historian Ryan Lavelle suggests that Thorkel, in his role as the king's agent, may have failed to sufficiently curb the English opposition to Canute's rule. Another possible explanation is that Thorkel planned on seizing the throne himself. Thorkel's wife was also outlawed, which suggests she might have been involved in the falling out. But even if Thorkel didn't try to usurp the throne, he was still a powerful nobleman in England with important political and military ties to Scandinavia. Canute may have simply found him too powerful. After all, just two years before Thorkel's fall from grace, Canute promoted a man named Godwin to the rank of Earl. Godwin was an obscure English noble from Sussex, so his meteoric rise was startling. Canute's trust in the Godwin may have been an indication that he was grooming him to replace Thorkel. In the years immediately after his conquest, Canute had rewarded his Scandinavian allies at the expense of the English lords. At the time, he trusted his countrymen, like Thorkel, over the English. But by 1020 or so, the pendulum may have swung back the other way. The Scandinavians, with ties to the homeland, may have become too powerful for Canute's liking. In any case, Godwin rose to become one of the most powerful men in England, while Thorkel was exiled to Denmark. 
Thorkel's downfall fit into the process of reorganization and consolidation Knut used to manage his growing empire from England. But Knut never completely forgot his native Denmark, which was where he found his next opportunity. In 1019, Knut's older brother Harold, the acting ruler of Denmark, suddenly died. The cause of death is unknown, though one medieval source claimed he was overthrown for being too effeminate and lustful. His brother's death hit Knut hard. According to Timothy Bolton, the loss of Knut's father and elder brother, perhaps his strongest male influences, so close together must have been an isolating experience at an early and crucial point in his life. The feeling was likely made worse because Knut was in a foreign country, surrounded by men who were not related to him and often didn't speak his language. We can't know for certain, but Knut likely felt he was steadily losing ties to his homeland. Despite the emotional toll of his brother's death, the tragedy had a silver lining. Harold had named Knut as his heir. Thus, after his brother's passing, Knut traveled to Denmark to collect his inheritance. Before he left, Knut wrote a letter to his English subjects, saying he was going to Denmark to secure peace for England. In reality, he was going to accept the crown of Denmark for his own benefit. Knut became king of Denmark in 1019, though not without some reservations on the part of the Danish nobles. They recognized their new king would spend most of his time in England, which did not bode well for the stability of Denmark. With this in mind, Knut reconciled with Thorkel the Tall in 1023. Thorkel's power in Denmark was still considerable. While Knut entrusted the throne of Denmark to his young son, Hartha Knut, he enlisted Thorkel to support the boy. To further consolidate power, Knut likely ordered certain older Danish communities to be abandoned, whether their residents wanted to leave or not. These people were likely moved to new urban centers which were under his direct control. As he did in England, Knut also appointed loyalists to church positions, and it seems he brought English builders, artisans, and settlers to Denmark to link the two realms. The tactics worked. Soon, Knut oversaw a stable kingdom across England and Denmark. But unfortunately, around this same time, it seems that Thorkel the Tall died. Or this is what has been assumed since he disappeared from the historical record. If he did die, Thorkel's cause of death is uncertain. Ryan Lavelle points out that it's possible he died from some sort of illness. No matter what happened to Thorkel, his demise was unlikely to have caused much grief for Knut. The reconciliation between the two was probably more political than personal. Knut needed Thorkel's support, but he was likely pleased to see one of his chief rivals gone. By the end of 1023, Knut was riding high. Within the space of just a few short years, he'd won two kingdoms for himself, both of which were prospering. His major rivals were dead and his English subjects complacent. Canute was looking forward to many long years of life. 
However, not everyone was content with his rule. Many Scandinavian elites bristled at the expansion of Canute's power. Some Danish nobles feared he would erode their autonomy, while those in neighboring Norway and Sweden worried Knut would take their kingdoms too. After conquering England and expanding his power in Denmark, it was only a matter of time until Knut came for the rest of Scandinavia. If his enemies wanted to stop him, they'd have to eliminate him now. Coming up, Knut battles Norway and Sweden for control of Scandinavia. They're role models, nurturers, and to many, the ultimate best friend. But what happens when Mommy Dearest has a dark side, one that's more criminal than caring? Find out in the Spotify original from Parcast, Malicious Moms. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of Malicious Moms. Every Sunday on Spotify, join me for a closer look at the moms who took their maternal instincts to illegal extremes. A beloved actress who would do anything for her child. A jilted ex who used her kids to take deadly revenge. Plus, a wife, a mistress, and an altercation with an axe you have to hear to believe. In this podcast collection, learn the dire lengths some women went to help their children and how others used motherhood to carry out their misdeeds. Sometimes true crime can be a real mother. Follow Malicious Moms free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In 1023 CE, Viking King Knut ruled both England and Denmark. By this time, he'd established a new empire that spanned the North Sea. Canute officially united the English and Scandinavian cultures. But not everyone was willing to bend the knee to mighty Canute. Some Danes resented the loss of their own influence as Canutes grew. Meanwhile, the kings of Norway and Sweden burned for their own opportunity to rule Scandinavia. According to historian Timothy Bolton, in 1026, Knut faced the greatest military threat to his rule, and it appears to have come from an alliance of Danish elites with the rulers of Norway and parts of Sweden. This threat and his response was the defining moment of his political career. Contemporary English and Scandinavian sources tell various versions of this moment, but it seems that the primary challengers to Canute's rule were a Danish earl in England named Eilof and his brother Ulf, a jarl in Denmark. The brothers' motivation for provoking an attack on Canute is not clear. It may have been nothing more complicated than their own burning ambition, or they resented the expansion of royal authority in Denmark. In any case, Eilof appears to have traveled to Denmark in 1024 and joined forces with Ulf. 
these two rebels colluded with the two remaining independent leaders of Scandinavia, Norwegian King Olaf Haraldsson and the Swedish King Anand Jakob, to take down Canute. Olaf was a dangerous and terrifying foe. After years as a wandering mercenary and warlord, he returned to Norway as a young man. He proceeded to defeat 11 other princes to make himself king, or so the skaldic poets boasted. Anand of Sweden had become king two years prior, and he clearly had no interest in seeing his own authority undermined by Canute. Recognizing a common enemy and urged on by the traitors Eilaf and Ulf, the two Scandinavian kings declared war on Canute. According to one source, their joint fleet first raided the region of Skona, which was then part of Denmark. Olaf and Anand made sure to launch their opening attacks while Canute was back in England. Thus, the Norwegian and Swedish allies struck him at a moment of weakness. At the time, Knut was busy preparing to attend the coronation of the Holy Roman Emperor in Rome. Naturally, Knut could not travel to Rome while the Allies were raiding his territory. Nor could he cancel his plans to attend the coronation. That would have been a serious snub of the Holy Roman Emperor, who was the most powerful monarch in Western Europe. This put Knut on a deadline. He had to defeat the invaders before the imperial coronation or risk the collapse of his kingdom by ignoring their advance. Meanwhile, after raiding Skona, the Allied fleet also sailed to Shellon, the largest and most populous island in Denmark. They hoped to entrench themselves there before Canute could react. They expected it would take months for him to marshal his forces from England. Instead, Knut swiftly gathered his fleet and sailed for Limfjord, an inlet on the Danish peninsula. Surprised by Knut's early appearance in Denmark, the Allied forces retreated, but Knut chased them down. At a place called the Holy River, somewhere either near Upland in modern-day Sweden or in Skåne, Knut caught up to them. After the enemy forces sprung the trap at the river dam, the battle for Scandinavia began. At one tense moment during the fight, Knut's ship was isolated and surrounded by enemy vessels. Luckily, the king's large, powerful warship was able to hold its own until the rest of Knut's fleet sailed to his rescue. In response, Olaf and Anand determined it was a good time to quit while they were ahead and retreat. Knut decided not to pursue them, retreating and managing to keep most of his navy intact. Despite the setback, his superior numbers gave him another chance to bring down the Allied fleet. Knut took his ships and blocked the Urusund, a strait which separates modern-day Denmark and Sweden. This effectively trapped the Norwegians and Swedes in the Baltic Sea, preventing them from attacking Denmark for the time being. Satisfied that the Allies were stuck and the crisis averted, Knut left to attend the imperial coronation in Rome. Trapped in the Baltic, the Swedes were able to simply pack up and go home. But the Norwegians were forced to travel over land back to Norway in the dead of winter. While the Norwegians suffered in the bitter cold, Knut journeyed south to sunny Italy. 
During the emperor's coronation in Rome on Easter 1027, Knut acted as a witness to the Pope's imperial benediction. This was a great honor and a clear indication that Knut was not considered a mere barbarian warlord at the fringes of civilization, but one of the most important Christian rulers in the known world. Further, it seems Knut arranged to have his daughter marry the emperor's son. The negotiations for this union likely began while Knut was in Italy, though the marriage didn't occur for nearly a decade. In any case, Knut had risen from an obscure Viking second son to one of the biggest players in European politics. As Knut left Rome and headed back to Denmark, he wrote a letter to his English subjects describing the Roman adventure. In this letter, he boasted that he visited every sanctuary and holy place he encountered in the Eternal City. Canute also bragged that he received gifts from other monarchs and that he had engaged in high-level diplomatic talks with the emperor and pope. All this stressed Canute's credentials, his prestige as a king, and his pride at being welcomed into the fraternity of Christian monarchs. Before long, Canute arrived in Denmark to finish off the Allies. He tracked down Ulf, the powerful Danish Jarl who'd helped instigate the Scandinavian attacks, and executed him. Ulf's brother Eilaf disappears from the historical record at this point, so he may have been executed as well. Other powerful nobles who had supported the rebellion were likely also put to death. Knut sailed home to England in 1027 after, in his words, arranging peace and a firm treaty with the Council of all the Danes, with those races and peoples who would have deprived us of life and rule if they could. However, Knut wasn't content to leave it at that. The Norwegian King Olaf might endanger his hold of Denmark again in the future. To neutralize this threat, Knut got into contact with Norwegian nobles soon after his return to England. It seems he asked if they might be interested in a regime change. The king of Norway's prestige was at an all-time low, thanks to the failure of the Danish invasion and subsequent retreat. Many of his powerful nobles were likely open to having Knut in charge. Bolstered by their support, Knut sailed to Norway in 1028 with his fleet. Arriving in the southern part of the country, Knut declared Hakon Eiriksson, the son of his old mentor Eiriker, as king of Norway. Hakon had a legitimate claim to large swaths of the kingdom, if not the kingship itself. His father was Norwegian, and he was also related to Knut, as his mother was Knut's half-sister. Thus, according to Timothy Bolton, Hakon could offer Knut a legitimate conquest of Norway, which could be presented as a return to the political order before Olaf Haraldsson. King Olaf, unable to rally support, seems to have fled into exile in Russia. And while Anand Jakob would remain king of Sweden for many more years, his hold on power was always tenuous, and he no longer posed a serious threat to Knut. Knut and Hakon took over Norway with relatively little effort. By distributing wealth to the Norwegian nobles and fulfilling various political promises, the whole of the country surrendered to them in short order. 
The people accepted Hakan as their king, and by extension, Canute as their overlord. This made Canute the most powerful ruler in Scandinavian history. He ruled England, his young son ruled Denmark, and now his half-nephew ruled Norway, and Canute reigned over them all. Canute returned to England in 1029 and oversaw a period of stability and economic growth. The success there can be attributed to Canute's fusion of English and Scandinavian cultures, at least at the upper echelons of society. Having purged the political elite, Canute replaced them with men who owed their wealth and status to him alone. Some, like Godwin, were English by birth, while others were Scandinavian. According to Timothy Bolton, at the heart of the ruling elites of England, the royal court, Canute had successfully created a newly emergent culture, an entirely new Anglo-Scandinavian identity which was firmly in power. Perhaps none better exemplified this blend than Knut's wife, Queen Emma. She was born to a Danish family and the widow of an Anglo-Saxon king. As the two cultures mixed, Emma's prominence rose and she asserted herself politically. By the early 1030s, her power was second only to Knut. In fact, declarations issued by the royal court now had both the king's and queen's name on them. After Emma, the Earl Godwin was undoubtedly the greatest force at court. He even married into Canute's family and named his first two sons after Canute's father and grandfather. Nipping at Godwin's heels was another powerful earl named Leofric. He was the son of a magistrate under Athelred, and his rivalry with Godwin was growing. This may have been on purpose, as Canute may have set his most powerful underlings against each other to limit their ambitions against him. Regardless of the internal politicking among loyalists, Knut was on the verge of establishing a dynasty that would endure for many long years. However, an unexpected tragedy turned all of Canute's plans upside down, and the men he'd put into power became his greatest threat. Coming up, Knut's North Sea Empire unravels into chaos, fire, and ruin. Now back to the story. By 1028, Canute ruled over a mighty North Sea Empire across England, Denmark, and Norway, greater than any previous Viking warlord had accomplished. During this time, Canute oversaw a period of economic expansion and cultural flourishing unlike any other in Viking history. However, while England thrived, the situation in Norway suddenly took a turn for the worse. Months after being named king, Hakan Eiriksson, Knut's half-nephew and leader of Norway, abruptly died, allegedly by drowning. His death provided an opportunity for the exiled Norwegian King Olaf, who returned to the country to win back his crown. Thankfully for Knut, Olaf's own people didn't want him back and actually formed a militia to stop him. In a battle at Stiklestad near the Swedish border, Olaf's forces were routed 
and the exiled king himself caught and executed on the battlefield. Technically, this left the throne of Norway empty. Canute had no other native Norwegian claimant he could rely on, so instead he sent his first son, Sven, to take the crown. But Sven was only about 15 years old, so he was joined by his mother, Elfgefju of Northampton. Together, they sought to win over the Norwegian elites and consolidate Knut's hold over the country with a series of harsh edicts. First, ships were not permitted to leave Norway without permission. Additionally, landowners had to contribute to the construction of royal estates and a special tax was levied every Christmas. These decrees were unpopular, and one medieval source even described Sven and Elfgefjul's reign as, quote, tyranny. The new laws quickly pushed the Norwegian people to rebel. Around the same time, a series of bad harvests in the region sparked a famine. By 1034, the situation had become so desperate that Sven and Elfgefjul were forced to flee Norway, and that same year, Sven died of unknown causes. Beyond the death of his son, this failure to hold power in Norway had serious consequences for Knut. Losing the country undermined his prestige in Denmark and England. The successful rebellions in Norway encouraged further dissent. Knut likely planned an invasion to restore his family to the Norwegian throne. After all, his actions thus far indicated he was building a stable and lasting dynasty to meld the cultures of Scandinavia and England even further. Through conquest, cunning, and diplomacy, he had forged a North Sea empire consisting of modern England, Denmark, and Norway. But Canute never got the chance to reclaim Norway. On November 12, 1035, Canute abruptly died in Dorset, England. He was probably in his mid-30s or early 40s. There is no record of the cause of his death, but since there is no legend surrounding his demise, we can safely assume that Knut's death was not violent. Considering that his father, his brother, and his sons all died early, historian Timothy Bolton posits that a congenital illness may have afflicted the family. Furthermore, Knut didn't seem to have expected to die, as he left no clear plan for succession. His son from his second marriage to Emma, Hartha Knut, already controlled Denmark. However, the teenager couldn't risk leaving for England, as there was no subordinate trustworthy enough to hold power in his absence. Knut's throne was left empty after his death, so Knut's first wife, Elfgefew, and their son, Harold Harefoot, made their move. Elfgefew invited the English nobility to a party. Through bribery and political promises at the event, she worked to undermine Hartha Canute's claim to England in favor of Harold. Though Hartha Canute couldn't yet leave Denmark, he did send his bodyguards to England to confiscate his late father's treasure. That way, he could prevent Elfgefew from bribing the English with it. The country was split in two. North of the Thames River, most nobles were loyal to Harold, 
while those south backed Hartha Canute. Additionally, Leofric supported Harold, while Godwin in Wessex supported Hartha Canute. The power vacuum was growing. According to one medieval source, the Archbishop of Canterbury refused to hand over Canute's crown and royal scepter to Harold. He also ordered the other English bishops not to consecrate Harold as king. In response, Harold surrounded the Cathedral of Canterbury with hunting dogs, whose loud howling drowned out church services. However, Hartha Canute's inability to physically come to England ultimately decided the contest. By 1037, most of Hartha Canute's supporters abandoned him for staying in Denmark, while his mother was driven out of England and into exile. Harold Harefoot was now King of England, and his mother, Elfgafu, was honored as the royal mother. Yet Harold had barely taken the throne when he too took ill and died on March 17, 1040. Now it seems it was Elfgafu's turn to flee into exile in southern France. With Harold dead, the path was open for his half-brother Harthacanute to finally take his father's place on the English throne. By the time Harold died, Harthacanute had relocated to Belgium. The English nobles reached out to him there and asked him to accept the crown of England. However, Hartha Canute's reign did not go well. Upon arriving in England, he instituted a new tax, which was resented by the people. When two tax collectors were murdered in Worcester, Hartha Canute retaliated by burning the city. Perhaps if Hartha Canute's reign had gone on longer, he would have eased his repression once his power was secure. But that was not to be. Two years later, on June 8, 1042, Hartha Canute died suddenly, like nearly every other male of his bloodline. He was buried next to his father at Winchester. Athelred's son Edward now stepped into the power vacuum. The year before, in 1041, Edward had been invited back to England, and now he was able to accept the English crown. Meanwhile, among the elite, Earl Godwin's family became one of the most powerful. Three years after Edward accepted the English crown, Godwin's daughter married the king. The English, worried by the string of sudden royal deaths, breathed a sigh of relief. Stability had returned to the country, and the Viking Age had come to an end. The North Sea Empire, forged by Canute the Great, didn't last long without him. Within 50 years of his death, virtually all traces of the Anglo-Scandinavian culture he forged were gone. Still, the long-term effects of Canute's reign were more subtle. The Viking leader united England with the politics and culture of continental Europe in a way no previous English king had done. Canute was a shrewd, deft politician who attempted to balance the needs of a diverse kingdom. He was one of the greatest of the Viking kings, who won wealth and prestige thanks to the sailing skill and ferocity of their warriors. The Viking Age was steeped in violent bloodshed. 
but it ended with Knut's attempts at diplomacy and religious conversion. According to Timothy Bolton, for the Scandinavians, Knut was the ideal, powerful, and benevolent ruler of skaldic verse. Perhaps that is why the legend of Knut the Great endures as the quintessential Viking story. Thanks for listening to Dictators. For more information on Canute, amongst the many sources we used, we found Canute the Great by Timothy Bolton to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Dictators was written by Devin Hughes, with writing assistance by Tony Goodman and Andrew Messer, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Bradley Klein. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. For many, Sunday is a special day spent with family. That makes it the perfect time to check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Malicious Moms. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every Sunday in this Parcast collection, join me for an intimate look at the matriarchs who were far more criminal than caring. Warning, this isn't your mother's podcast. Follow Malicious Moms free and only on Spotify. Spotify.